0: Localized air quality issues are a common occurrence in New York, but this spring and summer, as a result of persistent Canadian wildfires, almost every corner of the Empire State has dealt with air that represented a health risk. For more on the issue, we're joined on the Capitol Press Room by Jim Schwab, who studied atmospheric chemistry and air pollution for more than 30 years at the University at Albany's Atmospheric Sciences Research Center and is a senior research faculty emeritus. Welcome to the show, Jim.
1: Thank you very much, David.
0: So, for starters, why do fires in Canada impact the air quality of New York, including New York City, which is hundreds of miles from where fires are burning?
1: So, it's it's a very good question, and fortunately, it doesn't happen that frequently. But when the right kind of situation comes along, we can see, you know, things like we saw last month that were Kind of off the charts, uh, something that and those of us in in the area have never seen before. So, really, what has to happen is is three things. One is there's you know a, a huge number of fires because of a very a very uh, dry late spring, which was which happened here as well. But up in the the Boreal Forest in Canada, where all these fires are burning, it was very, very dry. Lightning started fires, and there are many hundreds of fires. I I don't even know how many they're counting now, but they've been extremely difficult to get to and to manage in, in any reasonable way. So there's a lot of fires, therefore they're creating a lot of smoke. The second thing that has to happen is is the weather system has to be very atypical, I think is the right way to say it. So we had in early June, and then again later in June, low-pressure systems, storm systems, that kind of stalled out to the east of these storms. And the, the counterclockwise circulation around these systems brought air from these northern regions you know counterclockwise around the low pressure system and streaming into new york and the third thing that has to happen and this is kind of even more unusual meteorologically is that all of that smoke came in at ground level um oftentimes the western you know we talk about the western wildfires and we get orange sunsets and stuff like that but that smoke more often than not stays aloft and is up you know some numbers of kilometers or miles in the atmosphere and only rarely does it does it actually come down to ground level and you know it may produce some measurable smoke but not anywhere near like you know factor of 10 less than we saw in early june so the combination of the, the huge modifiers, the stalled weather system that, that was kind of parked in just the wrong place, if you will, plus the fact that the circulation brought that air in at ground level, so it wasn't that the smoke was aloft, but it was right where we live and breathe. And that those three things came together to make this, you know, apocalyptic in many ways.
0: Well, since the Canadian fires began significantly impacting air quality in New York, I think a lot of people, myself included, have gotten used to seeing air quality warnings, particularly from our smartphones, which utilize uh, an air quality index. And for example, it was reported in early June that New York City reached a a 405 on the index, which represented, I believe, the highest rating since this type of record uh, was kept uh, for New York City. So while I know the ranges that are good concerning or or bad, I don't actually understand how the air quality index actually works. Can you break it down including what about the air quality is actually being measured for this index?
1: So the air quality index is a way that people at EPA have developed to give the general public some sort of um, idea of what the air quality is. And the basic, the bottom line is that there's green, yellow, orange, red, and then purple. And green is good air, obviously. Yellow is moderate. Orange is unhealthy for sensitive groups. Red is unhealthy for everybody. <clears throat> and purple is hazardous. And so you're right, we got into the hazardous zone in, in these early June events, <clears throat> and that was pretty much unprecedented. So EPA uses this air quality index for all of the what they call criteria pollutants, the ones that are controlled by the Clean Air Act. The two players that, that are important to New York State air quality are ozone, and particulate matter, or PM 2.5. And it was obviously for the smoke, it was the particulate matter that was the the criteria pollutant that triggered these these huge and unprecedented, um, you know events. So what happens is there's a network of measurements throughout the state mandated by EPA, operated by the department of environmental conservation that are monitoring the pollutants the criteria pollutants and again there's a pretty big network of pm sensors and ozone sensors because those are the ones we have most trouble with but these pm sensors um, are reported to epa epa and anybody else who wants to can take these raw measurements of particulate matter of smoke transfer those numbers using a mathematical function into an air quality index and use that to report to the to the uh, public because it doesn't really help to report to the public that okay pm 2.5 is 108 people are going to go oh what does that mean But if you say 108 is in the orange or the red zone, then you can kind of have some intuitive idea of, oh, this is bad, right? So the AQI is a way to hopefully transform the raw measurements that the Department of Environmental Conservation is making into a metric that people hopefully can understand better.
0: For listeners just joining us, you're listening to the Capitol Press Room, and we're speaking with Jim Schwab, who has studied atmospheric chemistry and air pollution for more than thirty years at the University at Albany's Atmospheric Sciences Research Center. Well, then, for someone like yourself, a scientist, I have to imagine you're more interested in the raw data that makes up the air quality index than the air quality index itself.
1: Correct, but you know, I'm <laughs> exactly. I I definitely want to know what the actual pollutant concentration is but you know i'm a very small fraction of the of the general public right
0: well what is our air quality like normally across new york and how big of a deviation does the the recent air that we've experienced uh, compare to what we normally have
1: so the air quality across New York is probably on, you know, over 300 days a year in the good, to maybe the moderate range, right? Um, but there are occasions where either the ozone in the New York met- metro area or some possibly other parts of the state or the PM um is over the standard and therefore problematic um so typically the amount of concentrations exceeding the standard are you know modest right so we get into the orange zone rarely get into the red zone I mean, that's happened once, I think, for ozone in my experience. But this event in June was kind of, you know, one in 25 or one in 50 year event. It was really unusual and hopefully remains unusual, but we can get into that later. It, It was not unlike anything I had seen in my career as an air pollution scientist.
0: Well, how much variance can there be in New York generally? And in addition to fires, what can cause deviations in quality? Are they just seasonal changes? Are they outside unique events? What's the picture like?
1: So, you're right. I mean, the the wildfire smoke is definitely something that is becoming a bigger and bigger problem in terms of, pm2.5 or particulate matter. And so that is more and more often that's considered uh you know an exceptional event by EPA and is not counted against um New York state's efforts to control pollution. Now both on the other hand and so those are kind of you know what acts of god or or, or things that are out of the possibility of control. Um, On the other hand, both ozone and PM 2.5 can be um, formed in the atmosphere through chemical reactions of emissions of various types of gases that that are human uh, byproducts. And those are oxides of nitrogen, volatile organic, um, volatile organic compounds, things like ammonia, uh, a few other things. So if there's tip, you know, if there, if you're in an area where there's a lot of emissions, tailpipe emissions, industrial emissions, power plant emissions, um, you know, human activity there can be situations where the atmos- within the atmosphere pollutants are formed and build up. If there's enough wind and ventilation, they get blown away before they get to dangerous levels. But sometimes, and people might be familiar with the term inversion, there's what's called a meteorological inversion where there's Cold air capping in a layer of air near the ground, in which case those emissions can build up and cause, you know, kind of a human caused uh, pollution event.
0: And after a quick break, we'll have more on New York's recent air quality issues with Jim Schwab, who studied atmospheric chemistry and air pollution for more than 30 years at the University at Albany's Atmospheric Sciences Research Center and is a senior research faculty emeritus. Press Room content, visit capitalpressroom.org or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. For listeners just joining us, you're listening to the Capitol Press Room, and we're continuing our conversation about the air quality in New York that's been impacted by Canadian wildfires. And our guest is Jim Schwab, who has studied atmospheric chemistry and air pollution for more than 30 years at the University at Albany's Atmospheric Sciences Research Center. So the fires for a lot of New Yorkers caused the first real time where they've had to deal with hazardous or concerning air quality. But there are people who, as a result of man-made conditions, live with a lot of different air quality concerns on a day-to-day basis, like if they live near some sort of fossil fuel uh, energy producer... So when you think about the landscape, can there be, on just a day-to-day basis, a real variation depending on where you live in New York?
1: Yeah, and that's that's actually a, a big topic. So in the, in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s, we were looking at the more regional picture where pollution formation was problematic. And the Clean Air Act has helped dramatically, regulation has helped dramatically to mitigate that problem. Two things have happened. One is that the concentration levels for the air quality standards has come down over time. And so that's, that's important. And the states and EPA have gotten better at regulating things there's still issues that we have to deal with. New York City metro area has multiple ozone exceedances each year. So all of these things end up having some kind of health effect on people. And it does seem the more research we do, it's not clear that there's any safe level of particulate matter that people can breathe on a regular basis without having some health effects. So you're absolutely right. There are areas where the insult from local pollution are bigger than others. And that has spawned this whole idea of environmental justice. And to their credit, the Biden administration is aware of this and has, double down on community monitoring which is measuring pollution on very local scales and environmental justice to try and help address and regulate emissions you know where disadvantaged or challenged people live there's a lot there's a lot going on in that and that's could only happen after we beat back the big problem a little bit and got a better understanding of of
0: how these things work. Well, that issue of community monitoring, you mentioned, is something we've talked about on this show with the Hochul administration as they've expanded some of the sites where they're doing that really localized air quality monitoring. When you think about the landscape more broadly though, whether it's that high-level data or that very specific low-level data, do New York policymakers and scientists have a, enough information about our air quality, or should we be trying to collect even more? Are there gaps in our knowledge?
1: Well, you're asking a researcher whether we should be doing more. <laughs> I, you know, come on. What You threw up that meatball pretty <laughs> right over the plate there. Of course we should. You know, there's always things we can learn. And as I said, the, the, the health outcomes research seems to indicate that there's really no safe level of smoke and, and air pollution that, that we can, that we should be breathing. So, so the more we can do, the better, the more we can characterize, you know, where the problem areas are, understand how to mitigate them as best we can, and also prepare people. You will know, give people information so that they can, you know, be aware of what the challenges are, you know. So nobody wants to buy uh, a house right next to a landfill, right? We also need to let people know, are you buying a house near a pollution hotspot? And obviously, even better would be to identify the pollution hotspot and mitigate it.
0: Well, this latest air quality issue is something that stems from forces outside our state borders, outside our country borders. So how much power do state policymakers in particular have to shape the quality of our air here in New York?
1: Well, that's, that's a great question. And I think the simple answer is very little, but the, but important to realize is that There are some things we can do and it requires, you know, cross boundary. It requires everybody sort of to be on the same page in the same way that we need to address climate change. And the things that we can do are, you know, in terms of better forest management, clearing out brush to the extent possible. And that's almost impossible in the boreal forest, but it's still needs to be considered and thought of, and New York forests probably should also be thinking about that. And the other thing is to think about controlled burns. Controlled burns are can be very unpopular in some circles, but at the same time, they may be an important weapon or an important tool to be able to keep us from having apocalyptic events like we're having this year.
0: For listeners just joining us, you're listening to the Capitol Press Room, and we're speaking with Jim Schwab, who has studied atmospheric chemistry and air pollution for more than 30 years at the University at Albany's Atmospheric Sciences Research Center. From a personal level, what are the mitigation efforts then that people should do when there are, say, air quality index results that are either concerning or explicitly dangerous?
1: Well, I think these have been have been pretty well spelled out and probably in the media and and elsewhere. But it's bears repeating is that, you know, kind of. Keep an eye on the air quality index, know your own situation, right? Do you have do you tend to have breathing issues? You know so there's a bit of a scale. The the most vulnerable people should should definitely be indoors, you know, with a good air purifier on on these, you know, dangerous, unhealthy and dangerous days. The rest of us should certainly consider wearing masks on on the unhealthy days. We we cracked out our masks again in early June, and it's like we thought we had given them up for COVID, but at least we all had them in our, you know, somewhere in our house, you know. So, so the same thing. So wearing masks, staying inside, making sure you have good ventilation, air purifiers. Um, it's kind of I. I think that's the best we can do. Probably avoiding strenuous outdoor activity when the air quality gets, you know, unhealthy or worse.
0: And I think for a lot of people, though, when they get, say, a warning about avoiding outdoor activities, or maybe a recommendation to wear a mask, there's not a clear connection about why that's important, because they might not necessarily feel anything different about the air they're breathing. So is there ever a point where people will actually feel uncomfortable by the air if there is a danger and if they are feeling uncomfortable at that point is that the case where it is significantly dangerous and it's the air that might seem normal that could be more of a sort of a secret problem
1: i don't know about you but i certainly know many people and myself included during this major event you could smell the smoke and you Mm -hmm. can feel some constriction when you're trying to breathe and if you feel that, you're kind of well into the, into the danger zone. So I like, to, I like to think about using the idea of the visual range to give me an idea of how polluted things are. If you can see a deep blue sky, that's about as clean as our air gets, and you're perfectly good to go. When it starts to get milky blue, you're probably okay, but you should be worried about those who are a little more sensitive. When the sky gets white and when you can't see whatever is in your vista a few miles away, or it's very, very, um, you know, kind of, it's now in silhouette and you can't see it clearly, that's pretty, pretty indicative of, of unhealthy air. And I think all of us realize, you know, during the smoke event in early June, you look out in your backyard or out your apartment or whatever, and, you know, you're looking 100 feet away and you can see smoke in the air. That, that, you know, is bad, very bad. So use your
0: eyes. Well, finally, how optimistic are you about the air quality in New York in particular, moving forward?
1: I think we have a path forward to improve the air quality due to human activities that we know about, like you know sort of the the community monitoring the uh DC monitoring, you know, understanding kind of the the human caused air pollution problems. I have a harder time coming to grips with these kinds of natural, if you will, events or these kinds of wildfire events, things that are are extraordinary and not something that you know we seem to have any real control over so you know hopefully they're rare as you know there was a big event smoke event similar to what we saw in california in 2020 right and locally in areas where there's wildfires it can be a common occurrence I mean I know people who were in Canada you know a week or two after the smoke was down here and they had to cancel a big athletic event um so these things are unfortunately seem to be increasing in frequency and I don't have a crystal ball to tell you if that's going to get any better or worse I mean I think indications are we might be in for a bit of a rocky ride.
0: Well, we've been speaking with Jim Schwab. He studied atmospheric chemistry and air pollution for more than 30 years at the University of Albany's Atmospheric Sciences Research Center. Jim, thank you so much for making the time. I really appreciate it.
1: Okay, thank you and uh, stay safe. Support for the Capitol Press Room provided by the New York State AFL-CIO, a federation of 3,000 unions fighting for working people by keeping New York State Union strong. Visit unionstrongny.org for more information. Join us again for Capitol Press Room, a production of WCNY Connected, Syracuse.